see a new baby here today. Beth Ann. Beth Ann Fuller. Sitting right back there as comfortable as she can be. Congratulations to Rex and Hannah. Big brother Braxton. Grandma Doris. Uh, So thankful to see them here uh, today. When we pray. When we pray. We must think of God. Think of God. You think you say, well, how silly to say. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. You remember in Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus tells a story about a fellow who goes to the temple to pray, a Pharisee, and he basically stands there and prays with himself. He informs God a little bit, but he basically prays with himself. Hey, our prayers can't just be us talking to ourselves. We've got to be focused and thinking about God. So this is point one today. Point one, when we pray, when we pray, page one, when we pray, we must think about God. We must think about God. Notice a verse in Romans 11 and 36. Romans 11 and 36 for from him, from him, and through him, and to him are all things. And to him be glory forever. Amen. You see, it's all about God. All the things around us, all the thoughts that go through us, all the things that we're trying to think about and accomplish it's all about God and it's and it's that way also when it comes to prayer when we pray we must be focused on God we must think about God Ephesians 4 verse 6 there is one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all It's so easy to get bogged down from the daily pressures of life and even in our prayer time to forget who it is that we are addressing. It causes us to forget that we are not in the leading role in the big scheme of things. We are not in the leading role here. At best, we're in a supporting role. Isaiah 43 and verse 7 says, We've been created for God's glory. Revelation 4 verse 11 says, We were made for Him. Not the other way around. We were made for Him. And so when we pray, we must think about God. I would encourage us as we pray along these lines to to think about the big picture of God. The big picture of God. Still on point one here. The big picture of God. Now God, of course, as we know, He cares about the details of life. He cares about your details. He cares about everything that goes on in your life. We once read Matthew 10, 29 to 31. We once read that Jesus knows the very hairs of your head. He's got them all numbered. He cares about the details of your life. But it's important not to get wrapped up in so many small matters and keep the big picture of God in mind. 
All of this is coming to an end. History is rolling along. But it's all coming to an end. There's a culmination coming. It's, it's the judgment day. It's heaven. It's hell. It's, it's eternity. We must pray toward that end. We must think about God's big purpose. We, need, we must keep in mind His great commission. We must think about what the purpose of life is all about. We will spend the majority of our existence in eternity not on earth. We will spend the majority of our existence. I don't know what the percentage would come out to be. It would have to be in the high 90s. High 90s, 98, 99% of our existence will not be on this earth. It will be in eternity. How do you... How do you wrap your arms around that? Well, let's just think about it a minute. 95 years. Let's say you're able to live on earth 95 years. How does 95 years compare to eternity? What could you use to compare 95 years to eternity? Well, maybe by saying a drop of water in all the oceans of the earth, that might come close, probably not, That might come close to it. That's how about 95 years compares to eternity. A drop of water in all the oceans of the earth. You see, we will spend most of our existence in eternity, not on earth. And we must pray toward uh, that end. Point one, we must pray with God in mind. Point two is this. When we pray, let us think of the knowledge of God. When we pray, let us think of the knowledge of God. What we mean by this is the knowledge that God has. The knowledge that God has. Keep that in mind when you pray. God has perfect and complete knowledge. He knows all there is to know. He's never wondered about anything. He has never come up with a theory He knows everything there is to know. There has nothing ever been introduced to God as some new ideal. He knows everything there is to know. He is never caught off guard by any concept or happening or piece of knowledge. He is perfect and complete in his knowledge. For example, he knows... All events, big and small, past, present, and future. He knows all events. Totally. A great passage to mark in your Bible is Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Where it says that the Lord declares the end from the beginning. The Lord declares the end from the beginning. The beginning. And from ancient times, he declares those things not yet done. That's just amazing to swallow. But there it is. Isaiah 46, verse 10. He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. That means he is never surprised by anything. 
That means that He can handle any situation that comes along. And that also means this. It means that He can help us handle any situation that comes along. In regard to the knowledge of God, also think about this. He knows our innermost thoughts. He knows our innermost thoughts. When the apostles would begin a prayer, they would often begin it with this thought in mind. If you look down to Acts 1 and 24, for example. Acts 1 24, as, as they are contemplating a replacement for Judas in the band of apostles, they pray. And they begin their prayer by saying, Lord, you who know the hearts of all men. Here we go. Here's our prayer. Acts 1.24. You who know the hearts of all men. And so when we pray, we might as well give all of our thoughts and feelings to God because He already knows them. And plus, it's really good for us to do that. When we pray, let us remember this thought and that thought as we go through the day and we get to prayer time. Let's give it all to God and leave it there with Him. There's not a situation that He cannot handle. Not a situation where He cannot help us to handle that. I've mentioned this before, so I'm not senile here, not yet. So I know that I'm saying something I've said before. Okay, That's not being senile when you know that you're repeating yourself. Okay. But I, I ran into this list years ago. 101 ways to, re, to relieve stress. 101 ways to relieve stress. And my first thought was, was how stressful it would be to have to remember half or third of these ways as you look down your list. Well, that's just humanism, and it's unnecessary because the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, Cast all your care upon Him. Cast all of your care upon Him, for He cares for you. So when we pray, let's keep the knowledge of God. That is, what, what it is that God knows. Let's keep that in mind. He knows all events, past, present, and future. He knows the hearts of all men. And He also knows our needs before we ask. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 8. Jesus is speaking about prayer there and he's discouraging the practice in those days of of doing your prayers to be seen of men or to be heard of men. He says, guys, just go into your closet and pray. The Heavenly Father knows what you have need of before you ever ask Him. You don't have to go all, you you don't have to use these big words, these big sounding words in order to express yourself to God Go into your closet, humble yourself, tell him what's on your heart and your mind. He already knows what you have need of, Matthew 6, verse 8, before you ask him. We're not surprised by that because God is the creator of all things. He's the creator of us. He he can put those two things together with ease. He knows what we need. He has the resources to fulfill our needs. We need to pray to him. You see, when we pray to God, we are not informing him. We're not providing information he does not have. Rather, we are asking him. We are begging him. We're pleading with him. We're thanking him. 
And above all, we are committing ourselves to him saying, Lord, if you provide these needs, I will continue to promise to you that I will adjust my life. I'll continue to grow and adjust my life to your will. So when we pray, let us think about the knowledge of God. Point number three, third page, is when we pray, let us think about the compassion of God. When we pray, let us be thinking about the compassion of God. Romans eleven twenty three mentions, and Paul gets a little emotional here, and that's okay to do in your prayers, by the way. Romans eleven thirty three, Paul begins by saying, Oh, the depth, oh, the depth. The, the word oh there is a reactionary emotion, emotional type of word. When Paul contemplates the beauty of God and the power of God, he, he becomes, he's overwhelmed emotionally by God's interest in man. In fact, there in Romans 11, if you were to back up and read from Romans 9 all the way down through Romans 11, Paul is explaining God's use of the Gentile people and God's use of the Roman uh, people and God's use of the Jewish uh, people and how he has brought his great plan of salvation and redemption to the earth. And Paul's just, it just penetrates Paul's soul. And with a great emotional outburst, he says, oh, the depth, oh, the depth. And one of the words he uses there is riches. Oh, the depth of the riches of God. When you read riches of God, you're talking about the compassion of God. We know this because of several uh, parallel verses. For example, we read in Romans 2 verse 4 of the goodness, the riches of The riches of God's goodness and forbearance. Romans 2 verse 4. The riches of God's goodness and forbearance. The word forbearance means to hold back. To delay punishment. Now think about that from the standpoint of God. To hold back and to delay punishment. God wants us to be saved. Because of his holy nature, he will render punishment. But because of his goodness and forbearance, he doesn't doesn't want anybody to to be lost. We need to bear that in mind as we pray. God is is very patient with us. He's very patient. The very fact that we are still here able to breathe, is a recognition of His patience with us. We must bear that in mind as we pray. We also read of God being rich in mercy. Rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, verse verse 4. He's rich in mercy. Mercy means pity. And God has perfect pity and mercy toward us who are foolish. If we were to create our own course in life, we would be so foolish and we would end up ruining our own lives and others around us. God has 
pity toward us and mercy toward us. It's an eternal choice that he has made. You remember the good Samaritan, how he stopped and he helped the man who was left beaten and robbed. Now the priest and Levite, on the same occasion, had decided, they'd made the choice, well, I'm too busy to stop and help. But the good Samaritan on his journey, he stopped to help. And he had compassion on the man who had been robbed. And he had mercy on him. God is that way eternally. It's part of his nature. He is rich in mercy. We also read in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 of the riches of his grace. The riches of God's grace. This of course means God's favor in bringing his son, sending his son to this earth to die for our sins. This favor from God, this love from God to us, this is, of course, something that we cannot earn. We, of course, comply and submit to God's conditions of salvation and of life, but there's, it, this is nothing that we can create. This is nothing that we earn. It's all on God. The riches of His grace has brought salvation to this earth. We bear this in mind when we pray. We also read in Ephesians 3.16 of the riches of His glory. And what this comes down to is the fact that God can lead us, if we'll follow Him, God can lead us to so transform our lives that we end up giving glory to Him. As Paul says in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. If we follow God and His Word, we will get to that point. To where in everything that we do, we give glory to Him and to the cross and not to ourselves ever. So the riches of His forbearance, the riches of His mercy, the riches of His grace, and the riches of His glory all point to the compassion of God. And may we have that within us and be motivated to come to Him in prayer to pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says. You see, God knows that we are weak. Oftentimes, we fail, we do the wrong things, we say the wrong things. He knows we need Him. He extends to us compassion. Compassion. In 1 John 1, verse 8, John says, If we say we have no sin then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins to the Father, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a promise uh, to Christians. And so when we pray, we must think about God. When we pray, we must think about the knowledge that God has. When we pray... We must think about his compassion. Finally this morning, when we pray, we've got to be thinking about his abilities. His abilities. Let's start in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Jeremiah poses a question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
he poses that question. What if we just wrote that question down? What if you write it down right now on a piece of paper? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And right after that, give yourself two, op- two options to answer that question, yes or no. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Yes or no. You would circle no. But folks, there's a world of difference between accepting that statement and praying that statement. There's a world of difference in answering no there and having the faith to understand what is true. World of difference in simply making that statement, acknowledging that statement, agreeing with that statement, and then actually praying that out in your lives. Going over to Ephesians chapter 3. Appreciate Chris reading this great passage. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Looking at Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him, Ephesians 3, 20. Now to him who is able. See, we're talking about the abilities of God. Him who is able to do far more exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church. Now think about what is said there. God is able to do beyond our ability to express what is on our hearts. Even if we studied it, studied it out and prepared a tremendous prayer Still, whatever it is that we said in that prayer, God is able to do beyond that. More than that, God is able to do beyond the bounds of our imaginations. He's able to go far more exceeding and abundantly further than what we can even think. Now there are two words here that start with an A. In Ephesians 3.20, able and ask. God is able, and do we have the faith to ask? As we pray, we must think about His abilities. His abilities. Let's expand that for just a minute or two here. We understand we do not live in the days of miracles But that does not tie up the hands of God. That does not diminish His power. That does not diminish our faith one little way. One little bit. Not at all. God is so awesome and so powerful that He can work just as easily through natural law. He set up the natural laws. He can work just as easily... And as effectively through natural law as he ever could through supernatural events. For example, God is able to put the right person in the right place at the right time. I don't know how he does it. It is mysterious. I love it that God is mysterious. He is very mysterious. But he's able to do these things. We don't know how. I love referring to the book of Esther chapter 4. Whenever Mordecai is trying to get 
uh, trying to persuade Esther to go in and talk to the king in behalf of her people. He said to Esther, Esther 4, about verse 14, he said, Esther, if you remain silent, notice this closely, Esther, if you remain silent, God will bring relief and deliverance from some other place, but you and your father's household will be destroyed. And then he asked this question, who knows but that possibly you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai's faith is so huge here. Esther, if you don't step up to the plate here, which you ought to do, and it's almost as if Mordecai is reaching down the eons of time and talking right to us too. If you don't step up to the plate right now, as you ought to do, in all boldness, God will bring relief and deliverance from somebody else from some other place. If you choose not to get in, But look, Esther, don't think that you're going just because you don't get in and get involved. Don't think that means deliverance for you because you and your father's house are going to go the way with the rest of us. Who knows but that this is God working. Who knows? To bring you to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? God can put the right person, the right people, the right places at the right time. Whenever Onesimus left Philemon, isn't it interesting that by the time Onesimus got over to Rome, where Paul was, that his heart was in a proper condition to where now he would receive the gospel from Paul. God had the right person with the right attitude meeting another person in the right place to where later he could go back home, not just as a servant of Philemon now, but much more than a servant, a brother in the Lord. Here's something else God can do. God can take that which is evil and turn it out good. This must be very frustrating for Satan. You can almost see Satan banging his head against the walls of wherever he's at. Because there Satan is. He's going up and down the earth, to and fro throughout the earth. He's tempting, he's tempting, he's tempting. He's got evil going in people's lives. He's got people's hearts turned backwards. He's got evil going and he gets, and he gets it out there. And it's in the, it's in the minds and the hearts of of leaders of nations and and leaders of churches and he's got people running wild after him and then God comes along behind him and turns that which is evil into good. And in just a moment we'll be thinking about that and emphasizing it because we're going to be thinking about the hill called Mount Calvary. Evil men from all spectrums of life, Jewish, Roman, conspired together to bring out the death of Jesus on the cross. Not just a death, a suffering death. And oh how Satan was enjoying himself as Jesus during those six hours 
was losing his lifeblood and, and suffering excruciating pain. And I suppose that that Friday evening and all day Saturday, Satan and his demons were hanging up black flags everywhere. Finally, all their work has now come to fruition. But as the song says, then came the morning, Sunday a.m. All of a sudden, that which was evil has been turned on its head. And the greatest thing in the world happened. Jesus came forth. The tomb was empty. And the world has never been the same. Sometimes we pray as if we're on a losing team. Maybe this will happen. Maybe this will happen. Maybe that will happen. May God forgive us. When we are with God, it is win, win, win. Romans 8.31 If God be for us, who can be against us? We must put our hand in His. We must trust Him fully. And we must pray to Him without ceasing. When we pray, let's think of God, His knowledge, His compassion, and His abilities. Will you come this morning as we stand together, as we sing?